Oh, hello, valued listener. I'm not sure if you folks are aware of this, but it's less than a week until Christmas. So in the off chance that nobody has said this to you, let me be the first, the first to wish you a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, all the things. I've got some good news uh, and some more good news and perhaps a little bit of bad news for you folks tuning in on this lovely week but we're in for you're in for a real treat i've already listened to this episode with uh our guest today um and it is very very entertaining peaceful soothing um frank wolf he's a bit of a wilderness legend around these parts and this episode is really about living the simple life frank uh, i've known frank for a while he is a very solid Dude, Canadian adventurer, writer, photographer, and environmentalist. Known for, he writes feature magazine articles and films that document his expeditions around the world. Uh, and he's got a particular focus on the Canadian North. Uh, let me just tell you about some of his journeys and you'll get a piece of what uh, this gentleman has accomplished in his time. He's been the first person to canoe across the entire country of Canada. And we talk a bit about that in the episode. He cycled 2,000 kilometers on the Yukon River to the Bering Sea in winter. He skied across Baffin, Baffin Island, naturally. He's rode the Northwest Passage. And he, just for kicks, circumnavigated Vancouver Island by kayak. He has been named one of Canada's 90 greatest explorers of all time by Canadian Geographic magazine. And he's one of Canada's top 10 adventurers by Explore Magazine. He's got a book out, Lines on a Map. It came out in October 2018. I've read it. It's quite great. He's got another one coming out in 2024 that we talked about in this episode. And another one coming out the year after that, 2025. A uh, couple of highlights from this episode. We really talk about embracing simplicity and stripping away all the mental, mental clutter. Um, he does this both on his trips and in, in his writing as well. So we talk, we talk a bunch about that. He talks about how he learns from indigenous cultures and gets to value their generational knowledge when he encounters them on his journeys. Uh, and then we talk a lot about kind of like finding what you love and, and making it work, regardless of financial gain or societal expectations. And he's done this and he shares very candidly in this episode about these like, well, I've got no money. Um, I love to explore. I do that. I have enough money to, to get by and feed myself. But he's he's totally at peace with it. And he's uh, very creative, and he has a uh, some really interesting and nice passages in this episode that are, like I said, quite soothing and really put things in in perspective. And he's got a really really great presence. So that's what's coming up on on this episode, Frank Wolf. And I guess I mentioned it, but perhaps the bad news. So this is episode thirteen. Next week we got episode fourteen. Oceanwise CEO Lassie Gustafson, really really. Um, funny guy, um, a great episode on leadership. That'll coming out on Boxing Day. And then January 2nd, Kathy Thorpe, she's the CEO of Nurse Next Door. January 2nd, the same day as her book is coming out. So that's going to be a great episode as well. And then, ladies and gentlemen, that's kind of the end of season one of The Real Van City. I know, I know, I know. So sad, so sad. But it's uh, it's been a great run. Is there going to be a season two? Well... Uh, stay tuned to to find out, but it's been great. It's been fun. And all of these conversations have been um, really great for me to be a part of naturally. And I hope you've enjoyed them as well. If you have had a chance to listen to them, 
but I'm gonna I'm gonna put pause on this. It's uh, it it's been good. I'm gonna put it on the shelf for a bit and see what shakes out and see if there if there could be a, a season two. Um, totally possibly could be. I'm, I for my extracurricular time that I've been doing this and I'm gonna turn a little bit more to to writing is my latest thought for coming up in the new year. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, there's only so many hours in the day and uh, this has definitely been a, a fun project. So thanks for everyone for listening in and your messages and your feedback. But yeah, this is uh, this episode with Frank is a real beauty. So enjoy it and enjoy your holidays. And but yeah, we've got an episode coming out on Boxing Day because we would not miss a Tuesday on The Real Van City. Take care. Welcome, Frank Wolf. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. I was trying to, I was trying to, I couldn't do it, but I was trying to think <laughs> back to before, like I knew you mm-hmm. and only knew of you oh. and then slowly got to get to know you. Yeah. We did ski trips and we stuff did, together. We did ski trips and stuff. Yeah. I always thought you were so wise and, <laughs> and still, not. and yeah. still do, but I, 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 I was, I was trying to think back to those, 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 it was a while ago, like five, six, seven, eight years, who 10 knows, at least 10, something oh, yeah. like that. Way back in the day. You know? yeah. yeah. Do you think you're still wise? I've never thought of myself as being wise. So yeah, I think if you think of yourself as being wise, you're probably not wise. That's probably, <laughs> it's like if, you, if you think you're enlightened, you got to get back in the classroom. That's right. Thing, That's right? right. That's right. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think, uh, I think, well, I think. Anyone who's probably lived to a ripe old age is probably wise just because it's a different type of wisdom. Everyone has a different type of wisdom. But if you're like an elder, say someone like my mom or something, you know, they have a natural wisdom because they've just lived a lot of life, you know. And so I think if you're young, it's hard to be young and wise. Yeah. Once you get older, then maybe, maybe every year I get a bit wiser. You must be able to be old and just like not have paid attention at all the entire time. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And I think there's something if... If you're like an older person, uh, you're not necessarily wise, but if you've held on to this like childlike zest for life, that's sometimes better than wisdom, you know, because you keep that inner child and you keep energetic. You're not jaded by all this wisdom and life weighing down on you. You're just like, life is still amazing. You're still full of wonder about it. That's, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what I like to do. So, yeah. And like most of us are trying to achieve that. And some people probably just be it and are it where some of us perhaps weren't that and are trying to go through the steps to do it. Because I was interesting. I was was telling you, Kevin was here Mm -hmm. on the show and we were talking about everything that he does. And you guys do a lot of similar things. Do stuff together with Kevin as well. But it's all quite childlike. And he told a story about how he got into it, about how he got separated from his parents back in mm, Montreal when yes. he was, have you heard that story? I've heard the story. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And, but it's all, you know, that kind of planted the seed for him to uh, be a leader and explore things. And he got the vision to, to go to the North pole and then the South pole as well. Yeah. But, it, yeah. you know, you guys are just as, and we'll get into who you are and what you do. How would you describe who you are and what you do? Mm. Uh, I think, I think I'm just, I'm a curious person and I just try to like to satisfy my curiosity. So I, in terms of my, say the, what I'm known for is probably my journeys and explorations and kind of wilderness areas. And, um, uh, I think the reason I do that and the reason I, I don't, I don't generally tend towards things, say like, um, 
Everest or even, or even the South Pole or the North Pole, which are just these kind of like, almost like bucket list things that people are into. I'm really interested in like the really obscure uh, areas of the wilderness that people aren't necessarily going to visit and linking together big routes through these areas because it's, it's more mysterious and it's more real exploration. It's almost like how it used to be. And it's, it's almost like what's around the next corner. There's a real wonder because there's no, there's no guidebook to really show you. And so you're kind of like seeing things, you know, and having to react with your own instincts and, and in the moment and, uh, and there's nothing to go on, but your own kind of wits and curiosity and, and determination. And that kind of thing is what you find in these kind of really obscure kind of areas that a lot of people aren't interested in, but I'm, I'm not interested in, in the kind of the bucket list things. Cause that's just, it's, it's almost too, you're doing that for someone else in a way, whereas these things that are, you're, you're kind of creating yourself. It's very creative. I look at it almost like art. If you're weaving together a route, you have a start point or a finish point. Everything in between is kind of a beautiful mystery. And to kind of turn that into reality is kind of where the, the creation part happens. Cool. So, so the book like lines them up. Each one of those lines is like, for me, it's like a work of art. I can, in my mind, I can visually put myself along anywhere in that line because I was there and I experienced it. And it was a very kind of visceral kind of moment. And, uh, and it kind of stays with you forever. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of what I think just my curiosity and, and kind of excitement about exploring these kind of relatively unexplored areas. I mean, nothing's unexplored. Everything's been been used functionally by indigenous people for thousands of years. They were up there hunting and fishing and, and doing what they needed to do, you know, traveling and, and uh, moving from their winter, uh, winter kind of uh, villages to their summer villages. And, um, and they're doing that functionally, whereas I'm just kind of going there more as a traveler. And for me, it's very new, but I'm doing it in a different way and for a different reason than they would have been. But, but in the end, for me, it's a very, uh, you know, satisfying experience and very creative. And then after that, I can, then it also inspires me more than anything to do my writing and I've done films about it. So in these kind of areas where I'm constantly engaged doing this expedition, it's actually when I'm most creative too, much more than just kind of sitting at my at home in the city looking out the window and saying this is pretty comfortable and nice but yeah comfort doesn't really pop that creative juice juices that i, yeah. I get from the trips so yeah. do you think you because if you go through a remote uh, inuit village somewhere up north and people have yeah they've lived there on and off for thousands of years maybe there's people there living there now living their life and then you come through for a few days on a on a trip or an adventure yeah and have a totally different experience than than they do right but so what because you're getting a different perception of this geographical place and this whole life that exists there from a few different lenses but like that doesn't matter much right you're you're what you're sharing when you write about and when you make a film about it of uh, a remote village is is your perception or how you feel in that moment but you're also i guess transferring some of the stories that you learned through the people that you meet there. Yeah, definitely. Like I think like the films I've done in the past generally, and even, even the stories I write generally, um, the trip is like a vessel that kind of shows the landscape. And if there's an issue involved or whatever, um, or real knowledge of the land, I'll always let the people through kind of, you know, conversations and interviews, I would always let people be the narrators of anything because, because they live there, they have, you know, generational knowledge of the areas they're always the people speaking to these these kind of uh, this, the stories, and I'm I'm just there for the entertainment and to either visually or through my writing 
kind of uh, paint a picture of the landscape so people kind of get an idea of what this area is. But in terms of like the kind of the unseen knowledge, which is what these people have, they kind of give that in their narration and the conversations I have with them. So because I'm more curious, I don't I'm not curious about myself. I don't I don't really like to hear myself talk about things, especially uh, I'm more curious about what other people have to say. So in terms of like, uh, that's why learning from people who live in an area and, you know, they, they've been there, their fathers, their grandfathers and so on and so forth. They passed on this generational knowledge through the way that's, that's much more rich and interesting as far as a storyteller to kind of share that. Are there instances where you can see that their stories are going to not get passed on perhaps because the, the population is, is dwindling or, um, books have been lost or or whatever it is like can because because that could happen very easily yeah like all these stories could be lost whether they're saved in an obscure corner of the internet or some book maybe but there must be a lot of occurrences like oh yeah and i I think i think i don't see it as a tragedy that stories are lost necessarily because it's almost like i think our culture is is the one that kind of documents uh, indigenous cultures historically have never documented anything uh, like writing or whatever. It's all kind of oral history. And that's kind of the telephone game. Things will evolve a little bit over time in these stories. But, you know, the base idea stays the same. But that's all kind of oral history. So that for, you know, thousands of years, they would have just kind of almost unconsciously passed on these oral histories. But they never documented it or thought that if they lost it, it's not a big deal. It's just something you're, it's a story you're telling. And then, of course, it's an interesting story. So it keeps getting told. But it's never, I don't think it was something that was necessarily consciously, you know, uh, preserved as this kind of valuable thing. It is now, I think, of course, there's more documentation, you know, um, which is very important, different, but it's more like something that we want something to almost hold on to. Whereas they kind of, uh, I think a lot of indigenous cultures, what I found as well, they're very uh, adaptable and malleable, uh, like generally Inuit, uh, which live in the Canadian North, which is more affected, say, by climate change than anything else, they're not activists up there. They're more kind of looking at the reality and adapting to it as it happens, you know. And that's that's how they've kind of lived in these kind of harsh environments because you have to be adaptable, and their natural instinct is to be adaptable. So, um, yeah, I think they're they're not so looking in the past as kind of looking at the current state of affairs is my experience oh cool that's interesting yeah yeah. it's interesting you mentioned bucket list i was listening to another podcast this morning about uh that mentioned bucket list and how this guy was taking an an opposite approach to that right different than than what you described somewhat and his his whole theory was uh yeah somewhat similar to what you said like we put things on there for external validation and and uh to show others whereas he's he was like instead of having a bucket list like and you're like adding, um, you know, more paintbrushes to your your picture or, yeah. or whatever it may be. Uh, think of it more, uh, your life more as a, a sculpture, and you're like chipping away um, and chiseling away more parts at of it. To you know, when you get to eighty, you finally have this piece yeah. of art that you've created. But it's I guess more of an internal game of chipping away things to getting to know yourself a little bit. You'll better. eventually become Michelangelo's David, right? I, well, yeah. or a version <laughs> of that. So, yeah. but even though you don't like to hear yourself um, speak, perhaps you must have a lot of time to get to better know yourself when you're on these long uh, trips and you get to, because whenever you meet other people that you haven't met, especially in these remote communities, they're, yeah. they're a mirror of, of how you show up as well. Mm-hmm. So do you find with each one of your, your journeys, and we're going to talk about the ones that 
uh, you've done recently and the ones coming up, but you find that you are continuing, continuing, continuing to get to know more about yourself? Uh, I guess so. Unconsciously, I probably do. Mm-hmm. I don't consciously try to necessarily get to know myself in terms of I just put myself into these experiences. And I mean, if, if you're on these experiences, because you're doing, say, an interesting journey, if you're doing like, you know, a couple of thousand kilometers by canoe through the wilderness and you run into some some folks in the middle of, you know, you don't meet many people along the way in these trips, but whoever you do meet is a very memorable. And you think about this person probably for the rest of your life. And they probably might think about you as well because you're kind of meeting each other in this really interesting context. Um, and you both kind of understand, okay, you're in the middle of this remote area. I'm in the middle of this remote area. And there's not a lot of people doing this. And so you have this instant connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you go along, that's just something that, you know, naturally happens kind of out of the ether. But as far as getting to know myself, I think I know myself pretty well. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not really searching so much for, uh, I mean, I'm a simple person. I think there's not, it's not too much complex about me, but, um, I think, and that's also part of my whole credo. I'm happiest when things are simple. So for me, it's like simplicity, strip it down to the bare bones. For me, I look at any long distance, like trip of thousands of kilometers as like a weekend trip with more food. And what is the simplest way to, I I should be able to get a, I I should be able to get like a two month trip in the wilderness off the ground in like a week and be gone. It's actually, it's gotta be that simple. And that's how I try to keep it. So just super streamlined, just one or two people, or maybe just myself. And then off you go. And, you know, all you're doing is breathing and eating and moving through space and time. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. And I think adding gear and baubles and things like that just kind of complicates things. So it's all about simplicity. And so I'm I'm a simple person and I'm happiest when things are simple and, and clear and not convoluted. And I think most people don't like the jumble or mess like mental clutter. some people do there yeah, some people do it, yeah right? but They're i i for chaos. me it's like i i just i'm like the opposite it's like just gotta i can deal with the chaos i guess but in terms of like i try to find the the clear line through the chaos you know but um yeah i'm definitely about simplicity in all things so and it's yeah. uh like your trips are a collection of memorable moments sure yeah. those are the things you're taking with you yeah 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 and exactly not, it's the memories and the experience and the i mean it's it's a cliche, but you know, the, um, it's about the journey, not the destination. And it is, it's always like when you're in the midst of the journey, I do, I do know to kind of sometimes take a beat around and say, okay, this is, this is now and it's happening now. And it's like, can you try to really enjoy where you are and fully? And so when I'm on a trip, I am, I'm all in, I'm 100% in like on a ski trip, same, I'm, I'm hundred percent in, you know, the nighttime, the daytime, milk it as much as you can because it's going to come to an end at some point. And so while you're there in this kind of magical, you know, moment or area, just kind of completely, you know, uh, let yourself be absorbed by it. And that's something that I, I kind of, you know, make sure I, I'm aware of along the way. Because sometimes you just, you do get in this completely Zen state and you're not aware of anything except for where you are and what you're doing and, and the mission at hand. But it's good sometimes to kind of step back for a moment and, and see that but that's a form of meditation yeah. like you say you don't yeah. meditate but that is like kind of the definition of a waking meditation like mm-hmm. even even in periods can, throughout yeah. the day you're like all right well now i'm going into work i can be fully i'm, I'm going to take a couple breaths i'm going into work for the yeah. next four hours or whatever yeah. it is yeah. and i'm going to lose my mind in there and, and yeah. do, do things or i'm going to do a project at mm-hmm. my computer but then I'm going to take a breath and I'm going to go to the gym at lunch. I'm going mm-hmm. to be fully there. And then I'm going to come take a breath and 
be fully here talking for Frank to yeah. Frank for another hour and a bit. Yeah, yeah. And that's it's again, it's the it's the it's the commitment to the presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if if you're not conscious of that commitment to the presence, that's ultimately meditation, isn't it? You know, because if if you're thinking I'm meditating, well, then you're not meditating, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. So <laughs> let's. Your book is your book is. This came out a few years ago. I remember reading it and going, wow, it's called Lines on a Map because mm-hmm. you have this ongoing map uh, where you put lines on it that are <laughs> all with relatively simple of all of your journeys. Yeah. And I was reviewing the updated one that you put on Facebook uh, recently. And did did it start with with the canoe trip from St. John? To yes. Vin- so you, you canoed from St. Yeah, John. St. John, New Brunswick, New, uh, Bay of Fundy to Vancouver. To Van- you can you canoe to Vancouver. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. All so right. that was that was that's kind of the first one I did that in 1995, and I guess that's kind of it got its hooks into me, and it kind of has never let go because I really love that. Again, that experience of simplicity. You know, all you have to do is get up, uh, basically eat, and just kind of move to the landscape, and that's it. Then then camp somewhere and and just kind of repeat and get into this kind of rhythm and cycle. And every day is ever changing. The landscape's ever changing. It's a different adventure every day. And that one just kept on going for 171 days. And so it just kind of became part of my life ever since then. So I just kind of made sure I needed that. At least one trip like that every year. Not that big necessarily, but and now recent years I've done, you know, two, sometimes three, depending. But, you know, shorter trips, about a month or so. But just to get away and have that kind of experience. Um, it's part of my, my annual cycle ever since. So, yeah. Were, were you always a wilderness? Were you a wilderness kid? I think so. Like my parents, um, they, I'm a first generation Canadian. My mom was, my mom's Danish. My dad was German and they came over kind of to experience, have an adventure in Canada. And then they basically never left. And we would spend, you know, several weeks every, when I was six weeks old, I was in a, in a canoe on a lake in Ontario kind of thing. Right. So they kind of, uh, kind of became part of me. Uh, through the years, and then um, yeah, we we spent uh, summers up in northern Ontario, and I became I was a canoe trip guy and a tree planter in university. So yeah, I've always just really been comfortable and and loved you know adventure, especially in in the wild and kind of the kind of the uh, uh, that kind of the just kind of the pristine you know uh, ancient kind of vibe and uh and, and feeling you get from being in a wild place mm. so what do they think yeah. of when you set off from st john in 1995 to was pointed at the west coast uh oh yeah they're they're just yeah great go for it my my i mean my parents are always 100 percent supportive there they never ever directed me in any way shape or form what to do with my life never thought never thought you should you have to get married have kids have a steady job that that work towards retirement is more like they just let me kind of figure my own way out and i still am and i think everyone is in a way but um they kind of let me kind of just follow my heart or my path and didn't get in the way and encourage me especially my mother i think probably like she was kind of like i'd send her like rules of film and she developed them as i was going across canada it's like pre-digital right actually taking film and things like that so she was fully into the uh you know uh vicariously living uh through my trip and, and has you know ever since right so well that's that's i mean that's what's yeah. fun with the the writing and the articles that you do as well like the rest of us can vicariously live through it without 
all the the bugs and the, <laughs> the and the sleeping in the dirt or whatever it may be or the polar bears sure, on the sure. recent ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think with um, like I don't expect anyone else to want to do what I do. I mean, someone once asked me, uh, "Oh, don't you feel like you're you're just you know super privileged to be?" And I am privileged to do what I do, but it, it it's not like I have any money or or desire it either. It's never been for any kind of financial gain. I think, I think if you really love to do something, I think you just find a way to do it. So um, it's never been anything. I've, I, you know, I I don't have a trust fund. I don't have really any anything to speak uh, speak of as far as like you know having some backing. You know, I kind of scrape it out, get the base amount of you know sponsorship for gear and say flight coverage anything i need to scrape away just enough to have a trip done and once you're on on a trip for two months you basically don't have any costs it's like easy living right you're just out there and um and so it's like anything it's like you know from the outside it seems like a really glamorous thing but you know live live for a week in in my shoes going upstream on a on a, <laughs> a northwest territories river and uh and and tell me how how privileged it is, I guess, right? But it's something that I happen to love, right? Everyone just finds something that they love, and uh, and uh, and that's that's this this strange thing of of kind of moving through these kind of remote wilderness areas is something that I just happen to love, and I just kind of keep well, on going back to it. Can we talk yeah. about that? Because I have <laughs> thought about this for obviously yeah uh, quite a few moments in my mind, but like this is your. I don't want to even call it a job, but this yeah. is what you do. Like you get yeah, sponsorship. It's my and, passion, you know, passion, but you yeah. had a job at one sure, point sure, at yeah. different points. I, I, I work and I, I, in order to make it happen, you do work in between. So I like just over here on, in Granville Island, like work in a boatyard, you know, doing demolition of boats and like and painting and, and replacing, you know, running gear and, and that sort of thing for a little, little place there. Um, I just got back from a month, uh, polar bear guiding, like showing people the polar bears of Churchill for like five weeks. So, uh, kind of you fit work in between cause everyone needs to make money and everyone needs to live and kind of keep the dream kind of going. So you kind of figure out ways to kind of find places to work that are flexible enough that you can go off and do your passion stuff as well. And so, uh, it's, it's a bit of a balancing act, but you're always, you know, working and making money in between. And then when you're out there, you'll make a little bit of money off of I've sold films and I've, I sell writing. I still write for Explore magazine, write features for them and do a blog. And so, yeah, money comes from it's like gig work, just trickling in from all different directions to kind of make this Did, thing. Happen. So do you get stressed so. out about money at certain points of the year? Mm, not really. I think I've been living on the, the thin edge so long. It just just normal. So. Um, but, uh, yeah, for, for me, it's, it's not like, and I have enough I have in terms of what, I mean, I don't have any kids. Um, my partner, Shannon, of course she has a steady job, but, um, we, we still split everything as far as, you know, finances and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, we just make it work. And it's, uh, uh I think if you love something, you just kind of make it work no matter what it is, right? Be it, nice, be it, nice. a, be it a family or being in a trip or being like, you know, you know, a, a, a business you're doing, if, if you love what you're doing and you're passionate about it, then you'll just make it work. Ultimately. Do you think you're lucky yeah. that you've found that you love what you're doing? And do you see a lot of people that haven't found anything that they love doing? I think, yeah, it's, I think it's probably a hard thing to find too. I mean, uh, I, I definitely know my happy place, which is when I'm out there on a journey and it's um, like when I'm in the midst of a journey, say, you know, 30 days or 60 days, you're just, 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the ideal version of myself when I'm out there. It's like, I, I know when I'm out there, I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. And it's, it's my perfect kind of place, but it's almost like, it's interesting. You can't be in your perfect place 365 either. You, you almost like this ebb and flow is needed for perspective. So if I'm out there, it's, I'm out there and I'm fully on and I'm, I'm my ideal self for it for like a month or two. But then you need this kind of period of almost like fallow in between, almost like more like a, a reset, relaxation, coming back to the normal world. And then you kind of, that's when I kind of produce my, my writing and everything after the fact. And then, then you start to get that ideas and, 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 and the fire for kind of the next one. But you need that in between because if you were to do that, that perfect passion work that you're doing, say, for a month, if you're doing that for 365 a year, I think it wouldn't be that way. I think it would normalize too much and it wouldn't fire you the same way. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you need these kind of, it's almost like a mission, I call it. So you need this kind of finite start and finish area. And that in between is when you do your passion work and you still love everything you're doing after the fact. The writing is a totally different, like creative mindset that I enjoy, but it, you're, you're in a different space uh, as far as like, I'm a very physical person, I think. And so when, if I'm physically active doing something creative, which is what I look at trips as being, that's when I'm, I'm, uh, I'm my ideal self. But like I said, it can't be, it can't be forever because it'll just normalize and it won't be a special. So you have to kind of just break it up into bite-sized chunks throughout the year. So do, do you ever, and that keeps it kind of fresh and alive for your whole life, I think too, yeah. doing it that way. So yeah. do you ever get moments on your trip where you're like, you get anxiety about the next trip or money or something, or you wish you weren't there, or um, you notice yourself not appreciating the the wilderness that you're in or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, do you ever not have fun on your trips? Uh, I think, I mean, depends. The trips that I create myself fully, I am, I, that, that's kind of, I'm fully there, but sometimes I'm brought on trips with, with other people that maybe aren't as fulfilling, but I mean, they're great too. So it's almost like, I find it really hard not to have a great time on trip. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's like I'm sure there's always times, of course, when you're not not like 100 percent stoked to be where you are. But whenever that happens to me, I have an instant kind of beat where I'm kind of thing. You know, if I wasn't doing this, what would be better than this? You know, and and I can in that moment I can never think of anything better. Mm. And then you kind of realize, you know, this is this is exactly where I need to be right now. So, mm. but um, yeah. So I think on those journeys, it's never. I never question, I never want to be somewhere else. I never want to be, I know eventually I'll be in a comfortable place, you know, having, you know, uh, all the comforts that we have in a place like Vancouver. But um, I think contrast is important in life. And so this kind of the the difficulty and the, and the kind of rise into the challenge on these journeys is kind of a, a really important part of my my annual cycle for sure so yeah. it's that's like some of the magnetic pull of frank <laughs> wolf though because you actually like you're you know you live and breathe doing things you love and you're generally a, a pretty content fella right and you know you got good good energy and all that but i think it's a really important point because like i'm a pretty simple dude too mm. most of the time oh, yeah. uh but you know pretty simple place pretty simple life yeah um but I think it's a pretty important point that you've made that, you know, you, you've kind of shunned all the other things that most people in society are addicted to chasing and doing and getting. And, and for whatever reason, 
often to to kind of fill holes in themselves, right? Could so you, be, yeah. you know, you you don't chase that. No, you don't chase that game. You don't play that game. You're a simple, dude. You do what you love. You do art. You know, you work hard, uh, and you're happy doing it. You're not happy with a big house or a big car or no six thousand dollar coat or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, th- I, things have never, you know, done it for me. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, whatever I have, if I look at, if I do like a, you know, assessment of what I have, say, you know, my wife and I, we kind of are in a eight hundred square foot condo in North Vancouver. We've been there for a while. You know, it's uh, everything we have. We don't have any extra storage beyond what we have in that place. It's just, you know, I have my place with my basic gear. Anything that I'm not using, it's gone. So if I'm, if I, it's, if, it, if it's not something that I'm, am I going to use this in the course of this next year? And if it's not, it's just gone. Because if I don't need it, I'll sell it. I'll give it away. It's extraneous. And just having stuff, like, it's, uh, it's almost like mental clutter. I mean, it's a classic kind of hoarder thing. It's, I'm like... Especially like Shannon, especially she's like the anti hoarder. She has no emotional attachment to things. <laughs> you know, Christmas cards or birthday cards after Christmas, after, they're gone. Yeah, it's yeah. out of there. There's no collecting of anything, right? So, um, and uh, yeah, so I don't have a lot of sentimentality with things like that either. I think we, we both share that for sure. But uh, yeah, if it's not functional and not something I'm actually using or need, then uh, it just kind of is, it just kind of, it almost builds up in my subconscious yeah. in a bad way. So it's, you know, almost like clean. Like this place too, right? This it's place is empty. Clean house. It's great. Tight. I love it here. I can see you have a very clean mental state by this And there's even here. like, yeah. there's even things in here that are going to yeah. get tossed in the next couple of yeah. weeks. And so I, I appreciate the, the stark zenness of this oh, space here. It's thank so, you. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. I, I work hard on, on yeah. eliminate that, you know, the, the sexiest thing to me is an empty drawer. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Hello, opportunity. But it's the same thing. It's the mental clarity. It is. It and is. especially yeah. for, for writing or creating or any sort of thing. You can't do that if you have all this like physical junk bouncing around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. It has to be like, that's, I mean, I, there's the, my family, we had this like for basically nothing in 1983. We bought this little pine cabin that was built in the 50s in Northern Ontario. I still, I suppose, still spend a couple of months there a year, but it is, it's where I do most of my effective writing. It's where I, I wrote most of this book. It's where I wrote, uh, I have a book coming up too that I wrote uh, there primarily. And it's basically, there's no Wi-Fi. There's one bar of shaky cell service. You might be able to get a text out, but there's nothing to distract you from the focus. And it's just a simple kind of pine cabin. It's like almost an organic place. I can look out over the water um, and I can just kind of write and I just get lost in it there because it's it's like this. It's like, clean there's there's not much to it it's a simple little place it's not a big say mansion on the water it's just a little pine cabin on the water and it's perfect and i that's i would never want anything more than that um i would never want to add anything to it or make it bigger or improve it you know it's i just kind of keep it going as it is because it's all i need so Mm -hmm. um yeah and so uh yeah something like that is is just kind of perfect for like i said for writing that kind of a simple space to kind of kind of kind of uh get lost in in a creative uh, activity so, mm-hmm. oh, i have a lot of questions this is yeah. great this is a, this is a very <laughs> timely time for you like we were talking about yeah. uh before we, we hit record like end of the year and i'm thinking about what what's up for myself for yeah. my extracurricular hobbies i guess for mm-hmm. myself for mm-hmm. for next year but for 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 you like you're you're a writer mm-hmm. right um 
And I'm thinking about getting back to, to doing more writing. So for me, let me just, you know, you can go coach mode on me right now. Because <laughs> uh, uh, how do you or how do you balance like you, you, you do a trip and you write about it or you do an article, which is also writing or mm-hmm. you may used to do more films, but not as much anymore. Like you create, um, you know, a piece of content, whatever it is. Uh, like how detached are you from from the outcome of how many people read the the article or who how many people buy the book and then like there's a right answer to this like it's yeah. the, the joy of, of of the writing and the sure, creating sure, and, yeah, and, yeah. and all of that but are you like you don't do a trip to write about it and have no. something happen you do a trip because you love being in the moment and then you yes. like writing about it because you like to relive the moment and, and perhaps organize some of the thoughts and memories yeah. or Mike, it, I think writing, you're generally not reliving it. You're almost like, I guess you use the word meditation. You're almost meditating on the, I'm looking at my journals and I'll find a theme in there. Cause if you're doing like an article, you basically have to marinate, let's say a month long trip into about 3,500 words. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to do that, you basically, you basically, you can kind of reflect on the whole journey by I'll read my journals over before I write my article and I, and I'll find there's a theme. There's always a theme that, that arises from it. It could be like something like loss or it could be something like time or kind of theme. And then you can tie it all together with this theme into one article. And that's kind of where the creativity comes in. So after the fact, when you're on the trip, you don't really see this. You have to step back from it to see that. So that's the kind of the, the after the fact writing. But I mean, in terms of answering your question, as far as the, um, the the why and the sort of thing like if if i was to do like i always said when i did my films my trips you know if everything washed down the river i would keep on doing the trip i'm not doing the trip for the film i'm doing the trip for the the journey and that experience itself you know the the above all else it's that whatever 30 45 days of the journey being lost in this in this world for for that time and that is the most important thing and as part of that, I do, I do enjoy writing, you know, like a haiku a day that kind of is a quick five, seven, five reflection on it. And then my journals about the day. And then you never know where it's going to go. You know, there's no real end game. And it, it, but it always, it's like if you, you know, it's like feel the dreams. If you build it, you know, they will come. If you, if you do this journey and plan it and do it, something magical always, every single time comes out of that. And then with that, you can kind of create something interesting, be it a film or, or an article eventually a book but it's not planned it's almost like and for me like i i never know what my next trip is except for my next trip Mm -hmm. or when i'm on the trip i'm never thinking of a trip afterwards because i don't know what my next trip is i don't have a whole bunch of trips lined up for the Mm -hmm. next bunch of years it's like my my cycle is if i do like a journey um like i did a trip uh 30 days we kayaked around the labrador peninsula 920 kilometers in june and july and i didn't know what my next trip was going to be after that. I kind of give myself time and space to be open to opportunity. So sometimes you'll hear about something or someone will approach you or you'll read about something that kind of crystallizes something in your mind. And then I'll just follow off in my obscure kind of journey. And so like, for example, after the trip, I didn't know what I was going to do, but now in March, I'm going down to Panama to an 800 kilometer kayak trip from Panama city to Cartagena, Colombia with a guy who, I got to know at the Vancouver Mountain Film Fest, and he said, hey, I'm, he basically is cycling, self-propelled from Squamish to Aconcagua, summiting every single peak self-propelled along the way. So he's in the highest peak in California, Oregon, Washington, Mexico, and now he's in Guatemala, and he's bagging these peaks all the way along. But you can't, 
go through this thing called the Darien Gap. It's like a dangerous, roadless kind of lawless area between Panama and Colombia. So he said, hey, do you want to paddle with me? I said, sure. So I'm going to bring down two folding kayaks and we're going to do it. So, But I, that, I, that just kind of came out of the ether a couple months ago. So you just kind of leave yourself and you just kind of jump on the opportunity. Well, I, I have a question about the yeah. lawlessness yeah. part. So, but that's not, a, that's not an, or an, and, and when I think of uh, that area down there, it's the critters too. But, yeah. You know, I guess yeah, you got crocodiles, tough, snakes, uh, scorpions, scorpions. Yeah. yeah. We're going to be like sleeping in a ha- hammocks, like in mangrove forests and stuff oh. like that. Uh, there's lots of human yeah. smuggling going on. There's it's, cartels. Yeah. Not, not an issue. Yeah. Right. <laughs> not, not a worry. Well, you just, what can you do, right? You kind of put yourself in the opportunity and and uh, and make the best of it. So okay. um, you can't worry about all the possible any in any journey. You can't worry about all the possible um, downfalls because then you'd never do anything, right? Yeah. And and I always found no matter what journey you do, your mind is going to build up things way worse than they actually are when you're face to face with the reality. So the reality of it is is never going to be as terrifying as what your mind. Uh, we'll build up. Which brings so, us yeah. to the story you wrote, just wrote, or the article you just wrote for, was it Explorer Magazine? Yes, Explorer, yeah, exactly. with the polar bear? That's right. Okay, That's right. so I want to talk about that. <laughs> I also want to talk about uh, your kayak, tri- solo kayak trip earlier this mm-hmm. year. Was yeah. that up to, to Rupert from? From Rupert to Bella Bella. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the outer wow. Islands. Yeah. And then I want to talk about your the book that you have coming yes. up. So let's go with the polar bear first, because <laughs> I read that this yesterday or or this morning. And so you were you were doing polar bear guiding last last few months. That's right. So in Churchill every year there's a um, basically October November. Um, Churchill is the only place you can rely. Churchill Manitoba. Churchill Manitoba yeah. is the only place in the world people can come and reliably see polar bears because polar bears they'll congregate around there because the first place the ice comes in and the polar bears need ice in order to hunt seals. So the polar bears all come up into Churchill area and hang out and wait for the ice to come in in the, in these kind of October November time. And so we go out there in these big tundra buggies or sometimes just in town and we kind of, uh, let people hang out with polar bears and experience them. So what? Yeah. So uh, I've never <laughs> seen a polar bear. Uh, and, and the part that you, you wrote about, it must've been, you weren't in the buggy. You guys were, were camping. And then yeah, so the, that, camp. it's completely different. So the guiding is, it's pretty cushy as far as like, you know, it's, uh, people, you know, pay a lot of money to come up. And see the polar bears, you know, they're, they're staying in hotels or on this lodge in the tundra. And you're just kind of, you know, organizing them and, and kind of sharing your knowledge about polar, bear, polar bears with them when they see them. But for the trip around Labrador, this is like right. probably the first time in 20 years this trip has been done. One, yeah. one reason is through Torngat National Park, it's very hard to get permits to go through solo. Um, because there are lots of bears, over 10% of the worldwide bear population is in that kind of general area, the Davis Strait subpopulation of bears. So um, there's one little town at the bottom of Ungaba Bay called uh, Kanjiksalujak. Say that 10 times fast, if you can even say it once. But um starts there, this Inuit town at the bottom of Ungaba Bay, and you go up around this Labrador Peninsula, uh, so in the Quebec side. Uh, then down the coast of Labrador to a town called Nain. So it's 920 kilometers between the two towns. Um, and it's, yeah, open ocean, uh, Labrador Sea. Yeah, so you have to be a, a good paddler, first of all. And also because there's so many bears roaming around there, um, once the ice goes out, all the bears come onto land. And they're kind of in this kind of walking hibernation. So they're awake and they're moving slowly, but they're opportunistic as far as like if there's food. And usually they're 100%, they eat seals. That's so when they're on the ice, all they care about is seals. You're not like 45 seals a year, about. 45 yeah. seals a year is what they need to kind of, um, 
you know, and actually these seals are these ring seals, about 150 pounds to bear. Same ones that we have here, the cute guys with the, the faces? No, these are the harbor seals. So oh. they're, they're like a little bigger than the harbor seals, yeah. but yeah, not too much bigger. But um, there's about 2 million of them in the Arctic. So it's a very stable source of food as long as there's ice. So, um, but once the ice goes out in, say, June, then they're on the land and they'll kind of roam slowly on shore if they see like a, a whale carcass, they'll kind of get on that or. If a seal happens to get caught in the intertidal zone, they'll get it too. But it's very hard for them to get seals without ice because um, they can kind of just wait for the seal to come up to breed and then grab them. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, they're also, you know, we're the only people camping on the uh, on the Labrador Peninsula. So we were kind of, we were outside the park at this point. So south of, uh, of Torngats National Park. And we'd seen a lot of bears, but never had any come into camp. We we're kind of getting a little bit lax about our because you're kayaking and yeah. then you go to shore we're kayaking, to sleep each night we're camping, and, and, and so we, around we would have uh, four of us on the trip. So we'd always have a person on bear watch. Um, and so the, and after, is that like Baywatch in any? Yeah, it's different, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> bear watch, Baywatch. Um, I guess if you did a bear watch in the bikini, it would be close. But uh, but in this case, literally, it's it's like from about nine yeah from nine to eleven one person being watched then eleven to one then one to three and three to five so two hours of watch for every person you wake the next person up they get up and they'll just be alert in case a bear comes in they can scare them away um and uh so basically uh through the park we weren't we had to have our guns disabled um because you're not allowed to have uh, guns in the park and but we didn't have any problems in the park either but then once we got past the park um in this one particular area um i was i was asleep my tent mate larry um we'd been asleep for about an hour it's 10 o'clock at night still bright outside and then uh all of a sudden i kind of had my earplugs in wearing like i remember i have an eye mask it says like not tonight it's like a satin eye mask that i got like uh i don't know where i got it from but it works pink yeah exactly Yeah. yeah king star yeah but uh but yeah, so I, I just hear like this, go away, go away, this kind of screaming. And then Larry's going, there's a bear in the tent. There's a bear in camp. There's a bear in camp. And I'm, suddenly you're awake. And we both pop up out of the tent and it's time to see our trip partner, Justine. Uh, there's a bear right a foot from her and she's hitting it with the chair she's sitting on. So she hits the bear in the face. And now JF, her partner, she's, in the tent, she's sharing a tent with him just uh, about 100 feet away. And then everyone's kind of up. The bear's kind of, she, she's like screaming, go away, go away. And he's also shouting at me, Larry, a bit farther away. And then, and then, um, and then she managed to get a flare gun and fire it. And it kind of drives the bear towards our tent. So it, it literally like in, in a split second, these bears can run like 40 kilometers an hour. They're so fast. And in a split second, it was right in front of us, basically like, you know, 30 feet away. And then Larry's got, He's got a shotgun out, but he's behind me, and I don't have to get behind Larry. I don't want a slug in my back. So I make the move to jump behind Larry, and with that movement, it's like a retreat movement, and the bear rushed us. And I, I, and I was just standing there just that split second um, before Larry reacted. I thought I just had sand around me, and this bear was – and it's just like there's, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> this bear is going to take me down. But, um, but Larry, you know, 27-year RCMP, you know, he's totally – cool and calm just fired a shot over the bear's head um give the bear as much of a chance as possible and the bear luckily turned around and then bolted away and they were firing bear bangers and crackers just to scare it away um yeah so that bear came in really close like right in on and, and justine i talked to her about it afterwards the interview and she said yeah she she looked around for two minutes 
didn't see anything, sat down, and all of a sudden she just felt something, like the hairs in the back mm. of her neck stood up, and she looks over, and the bear is like coming in right by the tent, just right in for her. And she only had time to react to pull the chair out and whack the bear. If she had she reached for the, the gun or the flare gun, it would have been on her. So she had to kind of just quickly, instinctively react. And that's kind of like the bear was surprised, of course. It's not used to something giving that kind of resistance. And then uh, definitely with polar bears, you want to be aggressive. You can't like that, that little retreat movement I did was the worst thing you wanted to do, but I also didn't want to get shot in the back. <laughs> so I had to make a quick decision there um, and it worked out. But um, yeah, so that's kind of the thing we then we had to go right back to watch. Um, after that, though, we brought the tents closer together. We put back up our alarm fence, which we had been using earlier. And then just kind of like, you know, it was a good reminder to kind of be much more uh, aware of these bears. Because literally, one, one thing about a polar bear is there's no growling. There's no sound. It's like, it's almost like it's not there. It's, you know, a thousand pounds and it's, it's just floating. It's not even a sound, not even a footfall sound. They don't growl. They're just like, they're stealth. Like, it was right there and I didn't hear a thing ever. It was just like this thing floating through camp intent potentially in our destruction, right? They're just kind of predators. And one thing about polar bears are they don't really eat any plant matter. They're pure meat eaters like grizzly bears and black bears are mostly herbivores. Grizzlies are like 50-50, you know, uh, vegetable, you know, animal. And then where polar bears are pure, you know, uh, meteors you know they're they're the largest apex predator on earth and to be face to face with that in that one moment but i mean justine i remember she said something after there she said even though the bear was like right on top of her and all she she whacked with the bear but she was also like at the same time as this thing is probably bent on her destruction she's observing how beautiful it was and it yeah. was beautiful it was like this beautiful you know powerful creature just kind of perfectly adapted to that environment and and just in our midst so you have this kind of at one point you're you're scared of course but you're also in in, in almost like an awe of this creature so um and the fact that it didn't eat us it was kind of a privilege and a good reminder and so we're much more aware of things after that but uh, yeah so these kind of uh, seminal kind of experiences that happen on the journey you don't necessarily want that to happen but if they happen and it turns out okay then it's kind of like you a you learn a lesson and b you have like something that's going to stay with you forever so um, but yeah, and then you go to bed because what else can you do? Right. Yeah. How well, how well <laughs> did you sleep that night? Wasn't too, I mean, the bear was already gone and, and we were much more kind of, <laughs> the systems were more, more, more dialed. So, uh, I fell asleep because you're tired at the end of those days. So, but, um, yeah, so it was, it was, uh, and another time on that same trip, we also had a bear come in, uh, in the water, uh, we were, we were paddling and my instinct when I see a bear is to go towards it if I'm in my kayak to get closer for some little shots and stuff like that. Actually, yeah. yeah. And so we'd seen bears and usually they'll see us and they'll kind of do a little swim by and they'll just be on their way. But this one bear, polar only bear, bear in the water was a polar bear, yeah. um, came around the corner, it was there. And then instead of like swimming away from us, it kind of swam towards us and we're kind of like, okay, swimming towards us, getting closer, but not too worried. And then I thought eventually it's going to veer, but then it went, instead of having its head up, the head went like, eyes only above the water, ears back and coming right towards us. And I kind of went, Oh, this is like, it's a, something they do when they're say, if a seal is on the, on an ice shelf, um, what they'll do is they'll kind of sneak in really stealth and they'll dive down and then burst up on the ice shelf and grab the seal. And so it came in, you know, about 30 feet away and then it dove. And I said, Justine, let's get out of here because it was going <laughs> to pop up on our kayaks. And if, yet, if it did that on you, you have no chance. Right. So yeah. we just, 
bolted out of there. So, um, so those two kind of like aggressive uh, moments with, with the polar bear were part of the experience. And you can see why a lot of people don't travel that coast. So A, it's hard to get the permits. You're putting yourself at risk because you're not allowed to have a gun in the park. And only people who can use guns in the park are Inuit. Um, so usually people who go into Torngast National Park are with, a, say, a professional, uh, you know, guiding kind of outfit, and they'll be accompanied by an Inuit bear guard with a gun. So we had to kind of uh, kind of take care of ourselves. And, and it all worked out in the end. But, um, but yeah, so that's just one of these kind of, you know, built-in risks you take if you're going into these kind of beautiful wild places. You're just part of the food chain. You know, you're no longer top of the pecking order like we would be here in vancouver you're kind of just kind of you're just part of the uh the food chain and, and just a notch below polar bears it's gotta be so, like when yeah. you see a, a whale even, <clears throat> even if you're on the <clears throat> on the ferry or even if you're on shore or something mm-hmm. if, you, if you see a whale anywhere like everyone just stops because <clears throat> mm-hmm. it's so they're so magical and they're yeah. so large and you can't believe this creature of the entire it's ocean. mesmerizing right it's mesmerizing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you stop and you take pictures and, and then it's over it's like this 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 crisp moment yeah. so, so i imagine it's something similar for sure yeah anytime yeah. you're you're with wildlife you know on their terms in the same environment sharing the same environment with you it's always a kind of a special kind of moment and, and it's always when you're on these journeys it's always very random you never expect it you hope to see these animals and they're in their place sometimes for days you won't see anything you said where do they all go but then all of a sudden boom they're right there in front of you and you have a special interaction. So, I saw this really yeah. gorgeous bird this morning mm. over by Second Beach, uh, Stanley Park. I'd never seen it before. Really long, very vibrant orange beak. Hmm. Black bird. I'd never. Oh, I, stopped, oh, I stopped and took. Oyster catcher. Perhaps. Probably, yeah. Perhaps. Long orange beak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And a couple other people stopped too. Just then on, a, then on, a, on the co- on the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And crow crow came by and tried to peck on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Oyster catchers. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're really cool. Yeah, are they common around here? You'll see them on the on the coasts. Yeah, here I've seen them a lot around in yeah. around here, like um, out around like Bowen Island and stuff. Right. Uh, kind of usually in kind of like uh, kind of little rocky outcrops. Yeah. On the, on the coast, okay. kind of thing. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, they're beautiful. They're cool looking birds for sure. I've been yeah. spending less time in nature lately. And Max, oh, you know Max, right? Uh, Max, my buddy, the German dude. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I met Max. I remember Max now. Were you yeah. on the trip? Were you guys on the trip on with the, Max? Were you yeah. guys both on, on Discovery? Yes. Max? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Me and Max were skiing together on sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he, he's, he's in Kamloops. He's doing well. He's doing good. Excellent. He always asked me, like, like, go in the mountains, go in the mountains and stuff. Like, what are you doing this weekend? Like, go oh, get it. I'm like, well, <laughs> me and the honey are going for a walk like around the west end and yeah. stuff and yeah and you know so but you know it's a bit of a it's a bit of, definitely you know going the mountains it's it's a lot of driving it's a, it's a lot of effort right yeah, it's even yeah. even more because you're on the north shore so mm-hmm. it's a little bit more of a pull yeah. especially these days it's wild out there to drive anywhere in vancouver on on the weekend yeah like like i live like a minute from the old buck trailhead so luckily yeah. i can just do a quick lap i did just before coming here i did a lap my mountain bike just when i went down the trail right so it's, nice. it's i can get that release but you don't do yeah. like we don't do the same hut trips we used to do, and you know I don't, yeah. I don't ski Whistler Black Home anymore. Much, yeah, so. I mean skiing for me like my as you over time like uh, I'd say for yeah for hut trips and skiing I guess the cost benefit analysis of the effort mm. around it the most of the skiing I've been doing has been like you know Arctic kind of ski tours and yeah. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think also 
after you've done something a lot year mm -hmm. after year after year, like I did probably 10 trips to Trophy Hut and Discovery Hut, mm -hmm. it kind of becomes a little bit, uh, it's still a good time, but it's, it just, things get a little repetitive and I look for something, yeah, just different. Mm -hmm. Hence the lines on the map. Yeah, and, exactly. And, kind and of moving your post, around. Your update yeah. that you wrote about last week, it's like you're always putting new lines on, on the map. So how now, like I love the BC coast as much as I like, um, you know, perhaps a little bit more dainty now in my days, <laughs> right? Uh, well, your work involves the BC coast too. Well, right? it also yeah. involves some other um, other coasts around the world that yeah. are gorgeous, but perhaps don't have the same environmental regulations. But we'll leave that for yeah. for uh, <laughs> uh, the, the post beer chat here. Yeah. But your trip paddling earlier this year, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you you've, you've spent some time on the BC remote west coast. For a few yeah, trips, right? I think I've done. Yeah, over the last, um, I've circumnavigated Haida Gwaii, circumnavigated <laughs> Vancouver Island, and also so done the Inside Passage. So if you're listening uh, yeah. to the podcast, <laughs> pull out a map and look at how, like, like yeah. thousands of kilometers of kayaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if that's true. I've explored much of the BC coast on these kind of those three journeys, and then the one I did this past summer solo or this spring solo was from uh prince rupert which is just below the alaska panhandle mm -hmm. and then travel 400 kilometers through kind of the outer islands of the north coast so there's the inside passage which is where if someone was to take the ferry or the alaskan cruise mm -hmm. it kind of goes up this kind of protected inner passage that ends up in prince rupert and beyond to alaska and i've done that by kayak but this one i wanted to do check out the outer islands which are not visited that often especially in in may like you won't see anyone um, yeah, so we did a trip from there out to like um, Banks Island and then down through Price and Campania and then Price and eventually back to a little town called Bella Bella. And I did it in a very simple kind of way. I had a little folding kayak, so a, a track it's called, and then just kind of hop on the plane in Vancouver, fly up to Prince Rupert, deploy <laughs> the kayak, go shopping at the local grocery store for food, then head off for, for 400 kilometers and then end up in, back in Bella Bella pack up the kayak <laughs> hop back in the plane back in vancouver so how long was that trip it was two weeks still. so 14 days 400k and then uh, yeah so I, I kind of just a quick little uh little jaunt down the coast and it was all and it was all for me I, i've i've not done any real significant solo journeys like on my day-to-day -day, i do a lot of solo mountain biking and paddling and this sort of thing but usually on my long journeys i like to have someone to kind of share the experience with as well as kind of you know you can, it's good to mo be motivated by somebody else in a canoe. You're going to move more f quickly and more efficiently with someone else in the canoe, two people in canoe. Um, and the kayak trips I've done before, like uh, Dave Beresford, who's a guy who I worked with at Mount Pumat Co-op for years, good friend of mine. We did the inside passage in, in 2020. We basically in, in COVID lockdown in May, there was nowhere else to go, nothing yeah. else to do but, except escape out your back door. So we went off on a, on a, on a month-long trip to prince rupert from squamish um and so <laughs> naturally so, yeah and then and then our friend amber joined us uh the next year we went around vancouver went from west vancouver paddled around vancouver island back to west vancouver from west vancouver we started from like in, in a kayak white cliff yeah. oh yeah so and then we yeah we crossed over up through kind of you know surge narrows crossed up the johnson strait came oh, around nice. oh, and nice. then we crossed back over from basically uh uh, Parksville, uh, across the Lesquiti and then Thormaby Sunshine Coast to oh, come nice. back. So, but, um, yeah, so usually that's always been with other people, but this one I wanted to do. And how was, so how was this one? And, and cause good. you're sleeping, you're sleeping again in a tent on, on, on the Rocky shore and 
whatever creatures are in the forest. Yes. Yeah. But beautiful. I mean, gorgeous. Um, it's so gorgeous. It is. It's beautiful. Yeah. And so like in May, it's, it's a quiet time of year too. Like there's, there's nobody out there. Um, I didn't see anyone. Once I left Prince Rupert, it was, I remember in, being in Prince Rupert and I wrote about, wrote about this. I'm doing an article for Mountain Life right now about that journey um, with a bunch of photos, kind of like a photo essay kind of thing. Um, but like right away, you know, uh, when you, the hardest part about a journey is getting to that first paddle stroke. So you're kind of like, mm-hmm. finally, you're at the, the boat launch in Prince Rupert. I'm getting myself organized. I'm putting together this folding kayak and just, just want to get it going. And, you know, this boat's going in and out and you're kind of just want to mm-hmm. get the train. And it's like, you know, it's gets three o'clock in the afternoon. I've got to get out there at least 20 kilometers to my first camp. So it's going to be, and then right away, I see this guy drift into the parking lot. And he's like, you can see, he's like, oh no, mm. this guy's going to come. And he basically is like, you know, a tweaker, totally like a, a, a guy who was a bit of a methamphetamine aficionado. I'm, I'm pretty darn sure. And he comes in, he's got like a, a dirty life jacket clipped to his arm, arm, and then he's shirtless. And he, right away, he just sees me and just kind of locks in. Mm. He comes right in and says, oh God, I just want to, I got to talk to this guy now. He's going to, yeah, it'd be hard to shake him. And right away, he's going to go, I'm from the future. I own this place in the future. You're lucky you can stay here. You know, this is my place. You know, um, you know, you're lucky I'll let you set up, but I I own this place in the future. And I said, sure you do. And he just kind of went on and on. Then he offers me some, some meth. I said, no, I'm I'm good, man. And he offers me uh, a wife to take with me on my trip. I said, no, I'm good. Actually, I want to go on this thing solo. He said, no, no, that's dangerous. And (laughs) he tries to give me his life jacket off his arm. And so it goes on and on. Eventually, you know, we almost come to blows and I kind of, oh, wow. Yeah. I kind of finally, he, I shake him off. Um, I was like, it just kind of reminded, okay, I'm, I'm really glad I'm going to be solo, get away from kind of the madness of humanity for a couple of days to kind of recrystallize that in my mind. And then finally, once I got in the water, first paddle stroke, you just kind of instantly mm. free of it all. And you're just on the journey. And then it's just like, everything's good. Mm. And then, uh, yeah. And so that was it. And, and it's, I think there's so many things to do. Yeah. Uh, you're navigating, you're looking for camp. Um, I, and I just felt completely so comfortable and so in, in the kind of the, almost like the, the, I guess the loving womb of mother nature the whole time, that kind of environment is just so there's nothing scary to me in it. It's all just like, because I've done a lot of traveling on the coast, it's just so, you know, it, these huge, you know, cedar trees that are just, you know, soaring above you, your camp beneath them, you know, these, these perfect white beaches, um, with like wolf tracks all over them. Um, you know, whales breaching as you're kind of like paddling along into like a headwind kind of gale. Um, and you get to camp and there's, you know, you're in this kind of protected little nook. It's just like howling out there in the strait, but you're in this like nice little place and you're kind of sitting by a fire and just kind of listening to the water running through the forest and the, and the birds and the trees. And it's just kind of like, uh, it's just like a very satisfying place to be and you can kind of, you know, journal and write, but then you're just occupied with everything, you know, setting up camp and, and kind of being and being in the environment. And the next day you don't know what's around the next corner and you just kind of, you don't, I realized I'd really, I you don't really need it. I definitely like tra- traveling with people, but I was, I'll definitely do another solo trip after that. It was such a, uh, there's, there's no, there's no one else to distract you from what's around you. You're even more into it than if you're with someone else, because it's just you with your thoughts and yourself. And I guess that you also know that you, you really, 
you know yourself and you like yourself and you enjoy spending time with yourself, which is important. I think if, if you are always distracting yourself with things and not being with yourself, I think, I think uh, you'll find out in the wilderness whether that's the case, right? There's nowhere to run and hide from yourself out there. So, But, um, but yeah, think- it's, it's really enjoyable. It was just a fully fulfilling experience. And, it, and it, it is an absolute sense of freedom when everything you, every decision you make, whether right or wrong, it's on you. And that is, you know, that's the best way to be. There's no, nowhere to lay the blame or, 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 or shirk or, you know, blame another person on the trip or think ill of anyone else because it's just you and you can't get away from yourself. And, and if you enjoy that experience, then, then uh, you know, then, you, then I think you're in a good place in life. Probably. So, yeah. That's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. It's because you feel very whole and complete because yeah. you feel whole and complete within, with yourself and you're connected to nature and you're out there. But I think a lot of people perhaps felt uncomfortable being uh, alone with themselves during the pandemic sure, at certain times because it's too, that yeah. certain thing. Like mm-hmm. it is a big step to, to kind of be happy with yourself and be content with yourself and not need any sort of show or any sort of other validation. Like yeah. nobody knew what you accomplished for those two weeks when you were on, like nobody really cared. <laughs> no, right? Like no, some no. of us that were aware of that were like, yeah, we hope he's okay. I'm pretty sure he's, he's okay. <laughs> but nobody, yeah. nobody cared that you paddled or where you camped no, or, or no, whatever. No. So and, and it's, okay. it's irrelevant to everyone yeah. else. You, if you basically, these journeys, no matter what, if it's by yourself or with someone else, you hundred percent have to do it just for yourself and no one else. I mean, not in a selfish kind of way, but just do it, you know, for its own sake and for the journey itself and never, you don't need validation from anywhere outside of that experience. That experience is your validation, right? There's, it doesn't matter anything else. Like no matter what happens, if no one ever hears about it ever, it doesn't matter. You've still done it and you've still experienced it. And the only, the validation is, is the experience, right? And that's, that's as simple as that. So yeah. <laughs> You must've had some chuckles though, like throughout the trip about that experience with the guy at the at the boat launch because oh, it's, yeah. it's always if you're on like group trips or something and then and it's kind of like that last thing that happens before you leave civilization you've got something to talk about oh, yeah I, I wrote in like oh that, you that, must have wrote in oh yeah I, quite detail i have the whole like for i've got a i've got a book coming out in 2024 but in 2025 of a kind of a lines on that part too cool and i wrote about a six thousand word pretty <laughs> in-depth uh uh write-up on that that solo journey Nice. And it opens with a very detailed back and forth conversation with this guy. And, and then I kind of, I would occasionally reflect on him, you know, uh, it's almost like, I think any, oftentimes like starting off in trip, there'll be the, you'll see someone in a town or whatever, have a funny interaction with them. And I'll always like, if I'm on a canoe trip with a partner, I'll always, I'll always say, uh, uh, I wonder what uh, Jerry from Sandy Bay is doing right now. Yeah. We'll just kind of talk about what Jerry's probably doing. We'll make up a life for Jerry and what Jerry yeah. might be doing. So yeah. the last person you kind of ha- actually see because you don't see many people, you always talk about, you know, uh, you, you start to make up their life just to entertain yourself on trips. So, but it, it, because you meet so few people, these people become, they're the, they're the most recent interaction you've had in that is something you kind of work through your brain on journey. I just, like on, on trip is a great place to kind of like, you know, reflect and, and of course you can reflect on the most recent interaction you've had. So, mm. um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of part of the fun. You can kind of play, you can, you can make up, 
this person could be anyone or anything. You'll never see them again, but you can make up whole stories about these people. Is yeah. it the best writers that are, are, are most present and, and can reflect and be as, you know, uh, most aware of, of instances like that, like the guy at the dock. And, and if you're fully present and you're observing this whole situation and it's going sideways, and yeah. you don't have to remember what's going on because you're, you're, you're going to be able to remember it when you come sure, back. But sure, yeah. if you're fully curious about, about what's going on, like to me, that is very fun. Like I can, I can write about for, for pages and pages about experiences that sure. have happened in the last 24 hours. Absolutely. And that can yeah. be interesting to mm -hmm. me, yeah, yeah. I guess. And yeah. that's good enough and it's fun. But it's mm -hmm. that process of that meditative process of, uh, you know, sitting down and writing for an hour or two of, of letting it all come out. But that's so fun. It is. Do you find that fun? I do. I, I, yeah, it's very, I mean, it's like when, when people read my articles and explore, they kind of read it. Oh, here's an adventure article. But, but mostly yeah. it ends up being an article about it's a reflection on humanity that's relatable. It has to be relatable to people in their day-to-day -day lives. So people can relate to, you know, you see a, a tweaker or a junkie, whatever, in the context, you bump into someone in Vancouver, and often it is an interesting interaction. They're, they're different people. I mean, they have their issues, but they're also, in their own way, they're extremely, you know, out of the box and interesting because of their nature. They're not living as society wants you to live. And these are all interesting people. And so putting that in the context of a wilderness journey, because people can still relate to that experience, right? So ultimately people, people can relate to people. So to have this human aspect into any kind of writing, even if you're writing about the wilderness is always more interesting to your reader, right? You can't, you can't alienate your reader by putting yourself on a pedestal and saying, this is amazing. And you'll never understand what a great experience it is. It's a boring yeah, article. Like, I paddled <laughs> exactly. 900 kilometers and I did yeah. this many, this the, day. The article is just so window dressing to a human mm. story. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just something that is a different way to approach, um, you know, what you, what say you would write about the person you met on the bus going to work on Monday or whatever. Right. Mm. So it's, it's just a different way of approaching it. It's a different way to formulate, a story that's been told again and again and people just want to you know these are stories that are are universal and i think you're just kind of presenting it from a different uh aspect so cool yeah. sweet mm -hmm. yeah. what's so what's the book coming out in uh, 2024 in 2024 so coming out in may in a few months with uh, rocky mountain books same publisher that did nice. lines on a map um and the name of the book is called uh, two springs one summer and it's basically a, a kind of a very intimate in-depth look at um, my year 2018 when I did uh, kind of three major expeditions within about 11 months. So two of them were spring ski trips, the two springs, and then the summer was a big giant canoe trip. I'm kind of, kind of weaving all three of those journeys together. So it's kind of like my life and my perspectives on these journeys, but also the life in between, you know, what I'm doing here in my day-to-day, -day, my, my kind of in-between oh, cool. reset time in Vancouver with people here kind of my thoughts. It's a little bit of a memoir as well in some ways. So through the course of that 2018, I also reflect on other parts of my life, you know, past and present, future kind of thing too. So um, yeah, just kind of a more interesting uh, writing space. I'm so used to doing these kind of, you know, 3,500, 5,000 word kind of magazine articles, which is a different way of writing. Here I had the freedom to really explore in depth, you know, uh, my journeys, the people I did the trips with, it was with three different teams of people. All I had different kind of interpersonal kind of interactions with throughout um, some better than others, which is like in life. And then um, and then in between, you know, I have struggles as well. Like for me, my struggle, you know, you can imagine if you have your your ideal self on journey, 
mm. and you have a less than ideal self in between, it's almost like the struggle of, well, what am I doing here? But then you have to realize this is just kind of the reset and the perspective you need to get to the next journey. And it's just as important and just as valuable and just as good in its own way. And so, yeah, just kind of coming to that kind of realization through that kind of cycle. So it's just kind of bringing people intimately into uh, my life uh, being kind of this expedition explorer kind of person and kind of the the pros and the cons of that kind of life. You know, no, nothing is, 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 a, is a fairy tale. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a part of it is you coming to peace at the terms of, at the, the times when you're kind of in between trip. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a quote I read last week, Maya Angelou. Um, if you don't like something, change it. Mm-hmm. If you can't change it, change your attitude. Totally. Yeah. 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 Even on the, on the trip, like I'd say of those, there's a lot of me reflecting and, and, and on trips, sometimes you're in this kind of, I do like to, I'm not just like casually paddling along. I put in like my, my rhythm on trip is I put in, especially on a canoe trip, 10 hours a day, every day, no rest days. It's going to rhythm. And sometimes if you're going upstream, you'll get maybe five kilometers. How do you paddle you, upstream? Uh, you just paddle really hard up the eddies and you hop out and drag oh. and push and pull and line. Glamorous. And, yeah. And yeah. portage around through the bush around waterfalls. And so you're kind of grinding, you yes. know, and, and you're in the rocks and you're banging your, your, <laughs> your feet and legs on. And, on and that. Yeah. So it's hard work. And it's almost like, but it's always big picture. So in the course of a long journey, if you're going upstream, downstream, big lakes, I always end up doing about 40 or 45 kilometers a day on a canoe trip. And I just know that. So you have to just trust the process. But in the course of that, it's obviously it's, it's stressful and it's hard. And, and the person that's with you isn't always going to be on the same page as you. And so I kind of share that, my perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll be critical in one day of this person. But then eventually I'll realize that, you know, you know I'm being critical and this person has given me the gift of accompanying me on this journey. They're taking this time out of their life to be on this journey, which I've concocted. And it's, you lose perspective of that sometime. It's almost like you have this kind of tunnel vision and focus that kind of, uh, and, and you kind of put your, your negativity and anger into the person with you on trip sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it's like the opposite. This is the most beautiful person you've ever spent time with mm-hmm. <laughs> in your life kind of thing. So it kind of goes back and forth. But um, yeah, so that's part of the whole, uh, I'm very open about it. I'm not, I totally don't sugarcoat it. I look like a bad person on the trip sometimes. I'm critical of my partner sometimes, but I also realize in the end, you know, that I'm being critical and I'm being unfair. But in the moment, you sometimes don't realize that. Did you, do you run yeah. these parts by the person you're writing about no. before you publish them? No. Oh, really? You can't. You can't. What Be- do you mean? If if you are they going to think you're kind of a dickhead when they read this? No, I don't think so. And okay. I think you have. To, I think if you're a writer, you have to write from your own perspective. If you're honest and have taken a beat, and you know, I've t- I've taken years since that 2018 to eventually I wrote it, yeah. put the book away. I said, ah, it's not going to work, and I came back to it. And through refining and going over it again and again, you eventually marinate it down to to the the reality of the whole situation, right? So you kind of take out uh, take out. A lot of the stuff you think is good and, and, and kind of you trim it down and clean it up. But I think it's almost like you can't run your writing through a whole bunch of too many people, I think, in some ways, because mm-hmm. then someone's always going to have an opinion of it. And essentially, it's got to be something that's true to your heart and to your writing. And you can hopefully trust yourself 
in terms of being a person with perspective that you're going to be fair to everyone involved, you know, yourself and whoever you're with kind of thing. So it's definitely not, you know, it's, it, but it's, I think the worst kind of writing is where you're trying to be nice to everyone. Uh-huh. You've got to be honest as well. Right. Yeah. So, um, and it, it, I don't think anyone's going to be, yeah, I don't think anyone that I know would be, uh, offended by what I write. Yeah. So hopefully. But if they are, then they are, right? That's life. So it's yeah. truthful writing. Yeah. yeah. Nothing is, is malicious. Everything is very, I think, measured as far as, and, and I'm as hard on myself as I am on my partner's kind of thing, right? So, um, and that all kind of comes out in the narrative. So. What is your writing process? Do you journal on trips and you come back to North Van? Do you, do you like have a couple hours during the day in front of a laptop or do you? you write it more by hand when you get home or is no it, is I'll, I'll do i'll just kind of uh like for for explorer who have done like probably 15 features for now um usually about 3500 4000 word articles and uh yeah usually i just have i have a theme in my mind too so i'll kind of um have that theme or a few possible themes then i'll try to link it together and i'll just start writing and then uh but kind of the, there's always like certain moments that rise from the ether of a journey that are kind of the, the signature seminal mm-hmm. moments. And those all get put in there and cool. connected together. Right. Cool. So, um, yeah, it's kind of trying to keep it fast paced, keep it interesting, move along the narrative and keep, uh, but also have a point to the whole thing too. Yeah. So, that, that yeah. latest article was a, was a thumper. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Going, right? yeah. That's fun when you hit that beat. And it goes, exactly. It goes, yeah. It and you know it when you have it, you, yeah. you kind of went writing. It's like, if it's flat to you, it's going to be mm-hmm. flat to everyone else. So it's got a, pop and be interesting to yourself as a writer how's uh how's the body holding that um well i i, I got my i can't run anymore so my knees are shot um definitely because i basically have years and years of mountain running out here in the north shore um uh it used to be my kind of easy kind of mental escape release and i replaced yeah. it complete with mountain biking um, which is good. I can mountain bike and I can, I can ski and stuff like that. But the downhill running in particular, I've got like bone on bone, both knees. So kind nice. of patella on femur. <laughs> so, you know, in, in the next decade, I'll probably have to have a, a couple of knee replacements, but everything else is good physically. So cool. I, I can still canoe trip. I can still ski. I can still bike. I just can't run anymore. So that's kind of been taken out of me. Otherwise the rest of the body is pretty good. So cool. you lift weights? Uh, no. Yeah. I've Never. started. Yeah, have you? Because yeah. running hurts me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think I running running is is such a great activity for the mind, but it's terrible yeah. for the body yeah, over really time. Is. It yeah. just pounds it out, right? So, um, and a lot of people I know, because I ran competitively since I was like in grade four. You know, I was like a, a scholarship athlete at the University of Michigan. I, I ran there for a couple of years. Uh, I won the Neenacker, which is a race across yeah. the North Shore, fifty kilometers. And my nominees are knackered. <laughs> So it, it was it was prophetic, I guess. But um, yeah, so I used to run all the time. Um, as it was an easy kind of just such a again, it's a simplicity thing. A pair of running shoes and off you go. Yeah, that's why I loved running. It's just no. Whereas mountain biking, it can be aggravating sometimes because yeah. bikes break and they're expensive and there's always you know if you break a part of a bike, you're not riding. So it's always this fiddly part of mountain biking I don't like. Yeah. So and your um, mind can't quite escape the same, right? You really yeah. got to pay attention. Yeah, you don't, I think almost you can't pit, you have, can't think. It's like, it's like skiing. Mm-hmm. If you're skiing downhill and skiing through the trees, you're just kind of flowing, right? You're paying attention. Yeah, yeah. and mountain bike, you just, you're just there yeah. in the act. You can't, you can't drift away and think about what I'm going to have for lunch. Yeah. If you're going you're down. not doing any writing when you're on the mountain no, bike. No, no, no. It's, it's, on the uphill, you can. So when you're going uphill, yes. you can kind of, you know, you're yeah. just kind of in that meditative grind. It's like, 
you know, doing a skin track up, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's kind of thing. But then on the way down, you have to kind of, you're just kind of like in the activity. Do so, you do? I do a lot of walking, like a, like a lot. Yeah. Like, I, I don't do enough, like, cause mountain biking is so easy for me when I'm yeah, here. I where, like, where I you do a lot are. of that. Yeah, but yeah, sure. Shannon and I will walk a lot. Um, we can walk, you know, everywhere down to Deep Cove and, and everywhere around and just back in the forest, the trails and that sort yeah. of thing. So that's, that's still yeah. great for sure too. So, um, but, and then, yeah. And, and, you know, skate skiing, cross country skiing is a quick little hit too locally, but, uh, do you ski yeah. up the, up, up Seymour road like Kevin does? I don't know. <laughs> Kevin does that. He does roller skiing. Exactly. Yeah. Up, so up Seymour. Yeah. He goes up, up the and then yeah. he'll, then he'll, then he'll, then he'll hike down he'll come down one that. of the trails. Yeah. Yeah. He'll go up like to the to CBC and come down CBC trail and down yes. that way. So, yeah. And that's roller skiing and that's, uh, that's, uh, that's great cross training for, cause that's his main sport probably in wintertime. Yeah. He's cross country skiing all the time. Right. And yeah. he's also getting ready for go to Ellesmere, Ellesmere, which is a combination of dog sledding and skiing yeah. when he goes there. Right. So, yeah. so he's, he's got a, he's got the, he's got the preparation. Uh, that's an mindset. intense journey. Yeah. Right. Here's yeah. I think, I think, one. I think they tried to do it with skiing and it didn't work out for them a couple of years yeah. ago. Um, well, if you listen to episode yeah. 12, you'll hear all about it. Yeah. 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 I know I've, Kevin's told me about it in depth and then, um, but now it's going to be much more of a, a cultural odyssey. Yeah. So, which is, which is more interesting, I think, as far as like, you know, story for yeah. sure. So, yeah, I think, I think it'll be a great trip. So mm-hmm. what, so what, uh, and we'll, we'll wind or do a close here soon. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Well, what trips you got coming up in the next year? Um, I have a, the trip that I, I talked about Darren Gap, right? I mentioned that already. The, uh, the Panama. Yes. Yeah. So that one. And then, um, and depending, I, I'm not sure because it's going to, I know a couple of friends of mine, Dave and Johnny, who I write about in, in the, in the book, because we did a trip across Baffin Island. Um, the three trips I talk about in that book, by the way, in the two springs, one summer is we, we skied from uh, Kikik Tarjwak up over the Penny Ice Cap, which is about 6,000 feet high. And then across Baffin Island, ended up a town called Pangnertung. So that's the first trip. The next trip is Yellowknife, 1,750 kilometers across the Northwest Territories in Nunavut to Chantry Inlet. And then the last one was a trip um, following the uh, footsteps of John Ray, who's a famous explorer who discovered the demise of the Franklin Expedition. They found out they'd all died on that expedition. So that was his kind of, so we kind of retraced that. So those are the three trips I, I did then. So. Johnny and Dave wanted to do a trip on in Clyde River in like May, but I think my trip in Panama and Cartagena was going to run into that. So I'll probably then end up doing a, a big canoe trip, um, either a big one in uh, Yukon Northwest Territories or else in Nunavut, some yellow knife up into the Northwest Passage via a different route I haven't been to before. So a big northern canoe trip and then the uh, kayak trip are then probably two main ones. Lots to explore. To explore. Lots to explore. Yeah, endless. A lifetime's worth. Yes. Well, <laughs> on that note, so end end of the year. Like how 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 do you get reflective at all at the end of the year? Do you kind of look back at your your mm-hmm. year and kind of kind of you know and think about the the year coming up and your trips coming at that are coming up and think about it in terms of a lifetime and you know there's one less year in, in your life remaining now or you just like whatever dude and yeah and, 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 i don't think about it too much i think even even my trips once once i'm done like a big trip i'm i'm basically on to the next whatever mm-hmm. once the journey is over it's over there's no more you know the journey is done the, re- the main 
essence and experience that I was has has basically passed me by. And I can I still have some articles to write, or in the past I've done films on it and edited mm-hmm. those. But I'm already I pretty quickly just knock off an article and move on. Mm-hmm. So I don't reflect too much on it because I always know that if you're passionate and you're curious, there's going to be another one on the horizon pretty quickly. Nice. You don't need to just kind of rest on any laurel. Mm-hmm. You're on to the next one, right? So, and who knows? Yeah. Maybe in yeah. five years, like you become passionate and curious about uh, something completely opposite from from nature. It could right? be, yeah, and yeah. wilderness. And I always mix, you know, nature and art and that sort of thing. But um, and I've done traveling, you know, uh, in Europe and stuff like that too. And it's it's good and it's nice, but it's not not really me like the wilderness is. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I, you know, if I think the, a friend of my, of mine, uh, Pearson Ross, I did a, he was a musician, but we, we talked mm-hmm. about this thing, uh, trip foo and trip foo basically means it's kind of a, a canoe trip term, but more or less it's the same things that no matter where you are in life it could be in the, in a city, it could be in the country you're on trip. Mm-hmm. So if you can get that canoe tripping mindset for your entire life, you know, then you've, you know, found, you know, Tripvana or Nirvana, as they say. So, but uh, it's just another version of, of kind of, you know, living a, a present kind of life, no matter where you are. Right? One meditative so, moment to the next without it. actual meditation. Exactly. You're always in that canoe, just kind of the canoe of life. life. The canoe, the of, canoe life. of life, baby. The yeah. canoe of life with a friend. Yeah, that's the next book. <laughs> that's, that's, I may take that. Whoever, whoever, whoever gets it. I, I you can probably take, have to do more canoeing. You, can, you said it first. You no, can take it. I, 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 it's if, just if a each, metaphor. You don't have to actually have a canoe. So, yeah. <laughs> I like canoes either way. <laughs> um, but I would have to say, you know, you know, one of the biggest influences you, you had on me, I've, you know, coming full circle back to our, our first ski trips yep, and things yep. like that has been mm. the love of the cold. Yeah. The cold, the cold plunge, the Wim Hof. You, you taught me about oh, Wim Hof, yes, right? Yes. You did teach me Wim Hof. Before. The slow snow roll around the cabin. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. into the sauna. <laughs> uh, I was at, um, I was at a very bougie uh, wilderness experience last night, Circle Wellness down on Granville Island. Okay. okay. You heard this thing? It's this, um, it's by the Granville Island Hotel and you go in there and you get your own cedar, total free plug to them, but they deserve it. This place is, it is great. Awesome. Uh, Cedar hot tub, not, Mm -hmm. not like tubber, cedar hot bath type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cold plunge. Hmm. that is actually cold yeah and then they have this wellness pod room and it, it's like himalayan salt walls oh and it's heated floor and it, it's 50 celsius so it's not like raging hot yeah, sauna yeah, yeah. but it's the the music is perfect yeah and it's timed with with the the lights on the wall and it slowly gets darker and darker and the, the music crescendos up more and more yeah and then it's dark for about 10 or like dark yeah, like you can't tell if your eyes are open or closed dark. And right. I'm usually that usually freaks me out quite a bit. <laughs> but the music is all going with this. And all of a sudden, this 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 light slowly starts to appear on the on the ceiling. So it was it was when you're talking about moments. Yeah. yeah. And experience is. Is that on all the time? Like, can you, yeah, yeah, it's anyone there. Can do it? Yeah, yeah, anyone yeah. can do it. It's it's this must have been uh, someone must have canceled because usually it's booked for the whole month. Right. And they release the at the beginning of the like month, the, the opening or whatever. Yeah. And usually yeah. you, you can go many mornings at 630. But this was a Saturday night. So yeah. I saw it on Friday. I'm like, and what's this place called? It's called Circle Wellness. Circle Wellness. <laughs> free plug, but whatever. You guys, you guys rocked it. Maybe yeah. free, free, free trial, whatever. Yeah. Another one. Yeah. Um, but the cold, the cold tank was delicious. Awesome. Yeah. I love the cold. It's like, I love, I love like, you know, uh, bitter, sour, <laughs> spicy, cold, just kind of things that really 
make your senses pop, right? That's it. Yeah. So where can we uh where can we find you in 2024 how do we how do we, we want we want to know about when the book's coming out we want to know how to track trips where's where's the best way to find you um yeah i'll put now like uh on the instagram at frank wolf 70 you can check me out there um and uh if you put up frank wolf explorer you can read all my online kind of blog the regular blog i have there as well which also alludes to some of my features as well Sweet. so and yeah, so uh, Two Springs, One Summer will be out in May. Cool. 2024. So we'll be there. Yeah. Looking That's forward to it. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks, Mike. Good to catch up. Good to catch up with you. Always inspired. Yes, indeed. I feel a little <laughs> bit more of a pull to nature and definitely writing for next year. So thank you for yes, that. Yes, of course. Cool. Writing is great. All right. Well, if you've gotten this far, I trust you enjoyed the show. I appreciate any five-star reviews, likes, shares, or comments on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you know of just one other person who you think would also enjoy this episode, consider sending it directly to them. I appreciate you. See you next time.